Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rock M Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon B.K. Kylie, and this is Before the Box Score. It is Kentucky week, one of the most uncomfortable weeks of the year. However, Missouri's coming off of a very comfortable win over South Carolina. Kentucky's coming off of a butt-whooping at the hands of Tennessee. So I don't know how everyone's feeling. I don't know how each side is feeling, but we will find out on Saturday when these team, two teams meet. B.K., how are you feeling? I'm doing great, man. Um, I'm really excited about this game because we mentioned this coming out of the South Carolina game. Missouri, in order to get to bowl eligibility, uh, eligibility rather, probably needs to win either this one or the Arkansas game. Mm -hmm. And the way that these teams set up, I think this is the one. It started out as a two-point line in favor of Kentucky. That's gone down to one, and it seems like the money is coming in on Missouri. I would not be surprised if we get to game time and this thing is like a pick one way or the other. So it's it's going to be very interesting to watch this game. It, Vegas sees it kind of the way that we have so far and that it's going to be a really close one on Saturday. I can't tell you how many people reached out and said, it's so nice to hear you happy about Missouri football after <laughs> our last show. And guys, I'll tell you, me too. <laughs> me too. I said it on the show and we've said it off the air. Like what just just what an enjoyable time that was to to write about the South Carolina game, to podcast about the South Carolina game to watch it to a certain extent. Like it's just, it's just great. And that it's, that's part of the fun. So I am glad you all enjoyed it. Trust us. We enjoy it too. We have way much more fun recording about wins rather than painful losses, but we are gearing up for another game. That's why this season works. You know, you get a game every week is what they tell us. So we are going to get into it eventually. However, I do want to keep the good times train rolling here. 
And we got some good news. We got some good news on the recruiting front on uh, October 27th. We didn't talk about it at the postgame show because we're just too dang happy about South Carolina. But we're going to talk about it now. Back on October 27th, Missouri got a commitment from a, from a defensive end. We're going to go with Serene Tunkara for now. Uh, if that is wrong, someone fabulously correct us because we are dumb people living in Missouri and can't read. Uh, but he is the number 64th best strong side defensive end in the country. He's from League City, Texas. He plays for Clear Springs High School. He's currently six foot three, 240 pounds. Uh, 247 has him a 5.73 star. And when I looked, 247 did not have him ranked. I'm sure that has changed by now. Mm. But, um, yeah, he has, he is uh, committed to Missouri. We will see if his signature gets the dotted line in December. But Missouri is obviously lined, you know, loaded up on transfers on the defensive line, both the interior and on the edge. And some of those guys could possibly leave. So you need some younger guys to fill in. They got that last recruiting cycle. They're doing it this uh, recruiting cycle with including Kai Lane out of Troy, Missouri. So, BK, another defensive end. You saw his tape. You took a look at what he could do. What were your big takeaways? Yeah, I like him. Um, He's an interesting player because whenever you see a player listed on rivals as a weak side versus a strong side defensive end, I think sometimes people are like, okay, whatever. Like, I don't really care. They're a defensive end. It it is different the way that they label them, and they do it for a reason. Strong side defensive ends, at least based on um, most of the history that I've seen with it for the Missouri commits, those are typically guys that could stay at defensive end, might end up kicking inside to defensive tackle. A lot of the time, the weak side defensive ends are your guys that are like the flying off of the edge. These mm-hmm. are your typical edge rusher, like mm-hmm. 220 to 230 pounds. And maybe when they bulk up, they'll get up to 250. Those, those types of players. For for this guy, Tunkara, is that where we're going with Tunkara? Yes, yes. He is more of the former. He is a guy that is kind of like Kyron Montgomery or Isaiah McGuire. Darius Robinson was listed at the same position coming out of high school and was a similar size to what you're seeing with Tunkara. They're guys that, yeah, they they could project to be defensive ends, but depending on how their body reacts to a college program, they might end up inside. And that's kind of how I feel about him. When you watch his high school film... He played in a three-man defensive line where it was kind of like a 3-3-5 where they would kick down that overhang at times on obvious passing downs. And on obvious passing downs, he would line up essentially as a three technique as in a traditional role of a defensive tackle. And he would just rush up field. And he was pretty good at that. And then on your typical standard down, he would be lining up as like a five technique, sometimes lined up a little bit further outside depending on who they're going up against. And I'm assuming that was game plan dependent. But... He is not a guy that's going to be bending around the edge or anything like that. He's winning with power. And I do find it interesting that both of the defensive ends in this year's class win that way. Chikai Ling is the same type of a player. He's listed at six foot four, 240 pounds. He wins with power. Tunkara, six foot three, 240 pounds, wins with power. We have seen Missouri try to go towards a scheme where it is more of a get up field, create havoc in the backfield and tackle the runner on the way to the quarterback if it ends up being a running play. Having strong defensive ends that can contain the edge without losing anything in the running game, that's something that this team desperately needed a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Now they have it because they've completely overhauled their defensive line with the portal plus their high school recruiting classes. Mm -hmm. And I think this is just the latest example of that. So it's a good move. 
he's the type of player that I don't think he's going to come in and play right away, but he projects to be a really good player. I don't think he's on the same level as Ja'Kai Lang. I like him better, mm-hmm. but looks like a good player nonetheless. Yeah, he, he needs to work on his pass rushing moves. Or and, and But like you said, maybe he bounces inside and you don't really need that. It was really fun to watch his tape when I, I wrote up the recruiting piece on him. Because like you said, he was sometimes he was uh, a you know a big defensive end in the three man front, and then he was the inside lineman on a four man front. And kind of no matter where he was, the moves were the same. He <laughs> just kind of overpowered the guy who was in front of him, which works. He also had really good pursuit. I liked his closing speed. There are plenty of highlights, uh, clips of him chasing down a running back or a receiver coming back to the inside on a screen, and he you know tra- tracked him down and hit him. And it was always a lot of fun to see a big guy do that. Hmm. So no, he is going, he's not ready now, but you know, he's not done growing. And I think, you know, part of that is, is coming into a college program and then having him build up the way they need him to be built up for whatever position they want him to play. I like those uh, malleable defensive linemen who can do a little bit of anything. You know, Isaiah McGuire, his first year on the field, he wasn't uh, outside in, but he also played inside. Now, part of that was because of COVID ravaging the defense and they needed someone on the inside, but he could also easily play outside and he's done well, you know, the past couple of years, including this one. So I like that versatility. Obviously you want somebody a little bit bigger on the inside when you play in the SEC, but Hey, if you can do it at whatever size you are, Jaden Jernigan's six foot two eighty five. You don't need to be some hulking beast to do it. Granted, six foot two eighty five is a large human being, but still, you get the idea. It, it, it's more about the skill; it's more about the talent and how you use it. And he needs some polish. He needs he needs some reps at the big boy level. But there's a lot to like there. And considering we do have a bunch of linemen who could come back, plus a lot of already highly rated recruits who are simmering right now in the college program, like it's it's this is great for him. He can come in. He can build build up the way he needs to build, sit and learn, and maybe we see him three years from now, but we don't need to see him next year. And that's, that's some of the things with this recruiting class in particular, when you stack two really great classes on top of each other, like Eli Drinkwitz has in the past two years, you don't necessarily need to do it a third time as long as you hold on to those guys. And it kind of feels like, you know, BK, this is kind of a, this is a simmering kind of class. It's the one that needs to bake a little bit. And I'm okay with that as long as everyone stays and everyone performs, because man, there's a lot of good dudes out there. And if, you know, some of these guys break through great, but there's no pressure to do so. And I, I like that a lot. It is an interesting class. Like you look at it and it's not going to get the headlines that the last couple have for Eli Trinkwitz for obvious reasons. They're not ranked in the top 25, not anywhere close to it. In fact, they're currently at least on rivals ranked as the 52nd overall class in the country. That is a little bit deceiving though, because it's a small class. It's only got 13 players in it so far. They do not have any five stars. They've got a good number of four stars though. Their recruiting class most closely, at least right now, resembles that of Kentucky, NC State, and those are probably the two closest ones. You could argue maybe Wisconsin's in there as well. They've they've got a pretty good class, but the numbers are just lower, and I think we're seeing this from some of the other teams um, around the conference and really around the country as well. I think the transfer portal has just become such a significant piece of roster building that these teams are looking at and they're saying to themselves, why would we take like 25 or 30 kids in this year's class when we know five, seven, maybe eight of those guys are never going to have a real chance to play for us? Like we're just taking them to take them. Why don't we just use those five to seven players and get those out of the transfer portal and we'll we'll turn it over? It's like the the idea of a server, right? 
you want to turn your tables over as quickly as possible to be able to get the next table that you can get that big tip on. So that way you get the best return possible. Same thing is true for the restaurant, but as a server, that's your incentive. I, I think that's kind of what some of these teams are looking at. They're saying like, hey, our, our incentive here is get the kids that we really want out of high school. And then if we miss on a kid that was a two-star in high school and he ends up going to Tulane instead, two years from now, we could go ahead and get them, get him out of the portal anyways. So I, I think it's just kind of changed the way that these teams are recruiting and to bring it to back to this specific player. This was a guy that Mizzou offered in the spring. They ended up missing out on a few other defensive ends and they kind of circled back and now they got him over Ole Miss and TCU. This isn't some kind of a reach. This is the type of player that you want to get. It's not a desperate signing. And I think this is what you're going to see most teams trying to do right now. And I think it's a smart way to go about it. It is. You know, you bring in a high school kid, they have one free transfer to anywhere they want to go. You bring in a transfer, they use their one free transfer. They, they're going to have to really, they're going to really want to leave uh, if they want to do it again. So uh, that's, that's a cynical way of looking at it. But yeah, if, if going forward, college football teams start having their 25 man class be thirteen, you know, 12, 13, 14 high schoolers, and then the rest transfers, I think that makes a lot of sense, especially while we still have those COVID seniors hanging out who may come back, may not. It's just roster management right now is really, really difficult to predict and work with. And I'm not telling you to cry for the millionaires who have to manage it. I'm just saying anyone's having a tough time. It's tough to figure out how you want to do this. It is a short-term thing. Yes, five years is a short-term period. It just feels like forever because we're in the middle of it. But in that interim, yeah, get a couple of ki- like highly rated kids, bring in some projects, fill out the rest of the portal. It's not a bad plan as long as you you trust your recruiting, you trust your scouts, and you trust your ability to bring guys into your culture and your scheme. Go ahead, knock yourself out. Now, if your transfer is all bust, then we got a problem. But you know, so far we have not seen that kind of a uh, that amount of bust anyway uh, from from the Missouri staff. So I trust it. And, you know, for these guys who have time to, to grow and to develop, I'm good with it. So it's not like Drinkwitz is playing all his great blue chip chippers right now. So, uh, you know, just get in line, Serene. Uh, you're going to be in good good company and you're going to have plenty of time to develop. So uh, good impact here. Really glad he's on board and I uh, can't wait to see what he does in 20. Oh, God, 2026. Yeah. And good. he's going to be playing for, it seems like, the defensive coordinator that's in place right now. Dude. So right before we hit the air, like 26 minutes ago, Eli Drinkwitz was on his radio show and he mentioned that uh, they, the plan was to lock down Blake Baker long-term and he thought the news would be leaking out relatively soon. And well, yeah, Dave Matter got on it. Let's, let's review. Blake Baker came to Missouri this year. He was here to replace Steve Wilkes, who left for the Carolina Panthers and is currently the Carolina Panthers interim head coach. Okay, cool. Baker was a linebackers coach before he came here. Uh, he had been in D.C. before, but uh, he was trying to get back in the ranks after getting ousted at Miami, kind of being the the the, the whipping boy for, for hurricane problems. So he comes in at a, a pretty good discount. Uh, he had a two-year contract that he signed. Uh, his salary for this year was $600,000. It was going to bump up to $700,000 next March 1st. Well, I think he's going to be cashing a little higher check going forward. And before we hit record, BK might be that six hundred plus the seven hundred thousand. <laughs> yeah, BK and I were thinking, is this you know one one million, one point five million? Because Drinkwood said it was going to be a, a sizable, a massive increase. Uh, I, yeah, six hundred thousand plus seven hundred thousand that would be one point three. Keep in mind, Steve Wilkes came in at one point two million. So 
Missouri's got the money laying around. Uh, and frankly, Blake Baker has earned it. Now, we got a couple of ways to look at this, a couple of different things to talk about. But just first off, BK, how happy are you that Blake Baker's apparently going to sign this contract? I'm thrilled. And I know we, we kind of come in on differing sides on this. I, I'm a little surprised. Um, I'm, I'm happy about it. I, I just didn't think we were going to get this kind of news this quickly. I thought, and I would have understood it completely. I thought maybe Blake Baker would explore his options. And the reason why is just because when you do this good of a job at turning around a defense that was, I mean, among the 10 worst in the country, especially when you're looking at the power five defenses mm -hmm. last year. Yep. And you take that unit in a one-year overhaul and you turn it into a group that's top 25, conservatively speaking, nationally. Mm -hmm. Like That is one hell of a job. And when you do that at a place like Missouri in a conference like the SEC, that gets noticed by other coaches across the country. So whether it be the new head coach at Auburn who's looking for a defensive coordinator to take over there or if it ends up being one of these teams that loses their current defensive coordinators because they end up getting a head coaching job elsewhere. Maybe Barry Odom takes a job somewhere else. Like there are jobs that he could have taken elsewhere that at least some coaches, maybe not him, I don't know, but some coaches would see as quote unquote better than being at Missouri and certainly possibly could make more money than what he could make at Missouri. So the fact that he was willing to accept this offer now I would assume he has at least an idea of what is going to be out there for him going into this offseason because that's how college football works. Um, I, I love it, man. I think it's really a smart move by Mizzou. I think they deserve a lot of credit for having the foresight to get in front of this. And I think it's awesome for him to say, yeah, maybe there's something that's better theoretically out there, but... I know what is here at Mizzou. I know what this personnel is. I know what I can do with him next year. And if he's good next year, if he has another season like this, he could be the guy that ends up instead of being, you know, he, he could be in the spot next year that maybe Barry Odom is this year where he's getting that group of five head coaching jobs. So it, it's not a bad job by any stretch of the imagination for Blake Baker. And I'm, I'm happy to see that he's going to stick around for it. Me too. Yeah. I, he took last year's Missouri defense, added a liberal dash of transfers, and turned it from bottom 20 to top 20 in, in one year. So he's got the skill. To your point about you know signing now or or drink, you know, basically putting out enough overt indications that he is going to sign this this contract extension. Either A he knows what's out there and he doesn't like it or B the dollar sign that's on this contract is enough to stop him from searching whatever that magic number is in his head that it hit that or surpassed it. So you got to ask yourself a couple things. Number one. Okay. Did he want to do something else? And in that category, there's two subcategories. Did he want to be a head coach or did he want to be a defensive coordinator or someone else? Okay. Well, we don't know the, the coaching carousel has, has revved up in September, but it is, it's far from stopping. But the open head coaching positions right now are Nebraska, Arizona State, Georgia Tech, Colorado, Wisconsin, Charlotte, and Auburn. One of those is an SEC school. You're going to make more as a defensive coordinator pretty much anywhere than the head coach of Charlotte, so we can pretty much rule that one out if he's money motivated. Wisconsin's either going to take, you know, Lance Leipold, probably Jim Leonard. That one's done. No one wants to inherit Colorado or Georgia Tech. Messes. Arizona State, messy, 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 messy people, personnel issues. 
Nebraska is Nebraska. It's got a lot of money. It's stuck in the middle of the country. So do you want to take the Auburn job? No, probably not. So from a head coaching standpoint, no, there's probably no jobs that he currently wants right now. I don't know if that's what he wants. From a defensive coordinator standpoint, you know, I don't know, Florida State, maybe. Uh, like you said, Arkansas, if Barry Odom goes. Uh, you know, there, there, there are a number of positions that he could take as a DC somewhere else. But this is one of the benefits of being in the SEC. We always harp on being, you know, the poor house in the rich neighborhood, but there is some benefits to this, and that comes from the assistant pool. Yes, you pay your head coach a lot, but you also have a lot of SEC money to throw at assistants. You know, Alabama's assistants make a million dollars. If this is true that Missouri is going to offer him over a million, like 1.2, 1.5, oh boy, that that is a serious commitment. That is a serious financial commitment to keep somebody here. Most coordinators, most guys would go, yeah, I, I will stay. I will happily stay here for that number and that many zeros. So that is the power of the SEC. You get to throw around a lot of paycheck money to your assistants, which is a good thing. Now, that doesn't mean they never leave. It just means you have usually have the financial ability to negotiate or keep around somebody that you actually like. And boy, wow, everybody loves Blake Baker. So, uh, yeah, I think this is a good thing. I don't think there are a lot of good options out there right now. And I do think the dollar amount was enough for him to stop looking. So, BK, let's look at what this defense can look like next year assuming that he is going to sign and going to be the defense coordinator next year. There are two guys that we know are going to leave. The elder Hopper, Tyrone Hopper, the defensive end, and DJ Coleman. That's it. Everyone else can come back. That's Trajan Jeffcoat, Isaiah McGuire, Rails George, Jaden Jernigan, Josh Landry, Darius Robinson, Chad Bailey, Martez Manuel. Well, I'm not saying all those guys are going to come back, but they have the potential to. Okay, I, I'm assuming Manuel goes. I'm assuming uh, the younger Hopper goes. Maybe Chris Abrams Drang goes. I do think Jalen Carlisle goes. So there are going to be losses. And then there's going to be some portals out. Like, you can't stop that. But BK, you could, you could reasonably see a position where Bakers come back and a good chunk of the guys in the rotation come back. And now some of the talented younger guys come back. Is this not kind of like the best position you could be in as a coordinator? It's really good for sure. I I do think it's going to hurt to not have Hopper next year, the younger Hopper Tyron. Um, he's just such a spectacular player, and he does so much at the second level that is going to be really difficult to replace. That being said, you would expect even better cornerback play going into next year. If Chris Abrams-Drain decides to stay, which is no sure thing, but you hope that he does, Rakestraw has been really good this season. Norwood has been pretty solid this season. You're bringing in some other talented players. You brought in a transfer from Miami this year that you would think would probably get some more playing time next year as well. Like your secondary has a chance to be pretty damn good next year, man. And you add that to, we'll see what happens with Carlisle. I, I kind of hope he stays another year. Cause I think he could be a top 50 type of guy in the NFL draft if he does. But right now, maybe he could go in like the third round, something like that. Um, but you bring back those corners that we talked about, maybe Carlisle. We'll see what happens with Charleston. I, I think you could upgrade actually at the star position by starting Carnell next year, even though I understand Manuel has been really solid. There's, it's not like he's been playing poorly. That secondary could be special. And if you get some of those younger guys on the defensive line to hit, oh buddy, now you're cooking with gas, especially against the pass. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I am so excited for the secondary next year. I, I came into it like, oh, they're going to be super young. They're going to get burned a lot. It's going to be very frustrating. And they have given up big plays, but, man, they have been really good. And that's obviously – that's Blake Baker's position group. That's the safeties. Uh, he's, he's intimately familiar with the with the secondary. So that's his jam. He's, he could return a lot of guys. Yes, you know, yes, Tyron Hopper is going to be a massive loss. There's, there's no getting around that. But the you know, linebacker – linebacker productivity is relatively replaceable at this level, especially if you have a, a talented secondary, especially if you have a defensive line that can hold their blocks. There's no replacing Hopper, but linebackers are just kind of de-emphasized in the modern game. So there are ways around it. And I don't know. It, Baker coming back is the first piece to being really, really excited. And our 2024 landing target that we've, that we've circled for the past two years really starting to pick up some steam now after that it's going to be the personnel that returns and then who they bring in and all that stuff but i don't know man i feel like the hype train for 24 or sorry for 23 is going to get uh full steam ahead with with baker signing and i'm really curious what he's going to be signing for let's just all right 1.2 is that where we're sitting at or do you think it currently climbs up to 1.5 what do you think I think 1.2 sounds right. They'll probably okay. say, hey, this was what our expectation was for if we continue to have Steve Wilkes as our defensive coordinator. This guy has proven to be every bit as good, if not better than what we were hoping Steve Wilkes could have been. We already planned for that to be a salary on our books. Give that to this guy to keep him in the fold. Mm-hmm. So I would say it's probably going to be around that number. If you set the over under at 1.2, I would probably lean over as opposed to under. Yeah. I would say 1.2. Not bad for a guy who was brought in as a safety coach, huh? <laughs> got surprised, got the job pretty late. Like, man, that, that was an excellent hire. I, I mean, we, I will also add this. I, it could be the hire that sets up Artie Lie Drinkwitz from Barry Odom because mm-hmm. Barry had this thing where he just couldn't figure out the offense and like the the defense was an issue of course and he was in charge of that but he couldn't find the offensive coordinator that he wanted to stick with long term and ultimately he hired Derek Dooley and that was the end of it <laughs> and we knew <laughs> that hired Derek Dooley. Oh my God. the tight ends coach for the Cowboys how could it have possibly <sighs> gone awry hadn't ever called plays literally <laughs> never literally had never called a play oh. anyways um we didn't know what it was going to look like with Eli Drinkwitz he he had the arranged marriage with Ryan Walters who by the way that guy's a really good coach and is going to get a head mm-hmm. coaching job after leading Illinois right now to being the number one defensive in the country but they decided to sp- separate and that all made sense for both parties and it's clearly worked out for both sides eventually but then he goes with Steve Wilkes. That didn't work. And finally, he was able to land on a guy that it appears was the right man for this job. And so I I am happy because sometimes you get this and then, yeah, it's great for Mizzou, but this guy is going to leave because it's Mizzou and it's not mm-hmm. Alabama or Auburn or Georgia or whatever. But for him to stay, I, I think it speaks really highly to both of these sides. They, they knew that it's a good arrangement for both parties and for at least one more year i think it's going to be another arrangement that ends up benefiting both sides absolutely yeah very excited very very excited um both to see what the dollar amount is and what he can do next year because that's just that's awesome 
Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay. It's Kentucky week. You know, you know I hate Kentucky week, BK. You know what I've said. You said it before. BK holds, you know, they they hold up a mirror to you and say, this is what you are. And sometimes you pass the test and sometimes you don't. The interesting thing about Kentucky this year, you know, last year they were an air raid team. What was that about? <laughs> they, were, they were throwing it all over the place. Wondell Robinson breaking records. It was awesome. And now they lost him and they lost their offense coordinator. And now they're right back to the run, 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 run pass that the yardage is too far. Here's the thing, though. Kentucky, it's falling apart on offense. That defense is top 10. Like, there's no doubt about that. That, that has always stayed the same since, since Stoops has been there. But this offense has had a massive regression, and it's because they don't have an offensive line. BK, who does that sound like? That sounds like Missouri. So, you know, this is going to be very much just, you know, the Spider-Man pointing at the Spider-Man meme. Like, two teams that are exactly the same. Poor offensive line. Run reliant. Hoping for big explosive plays. Dynamite defense. This could either be like a like a nine six affair, or like if the big plays start hitting, it could be like you know, 35 28 heading into the fourth. BK, I don't know. I don't have a read on this. I just know that these teams are very, very close to each other. Let's start with their offense nervous. because I think Missouri fans will go into this and say, well, at least Kentucky has a good quarterback, and that means they probably have a good offense. Well, this is a quote from Mark Stoops this week about his new offensive coordinator, Rich Scangarillo, who was previously an NFL guy and is trying to basically run an NFL offense at the college level, which, as we know from college coaches that go to the NFL level, not the same game, friends. Quote, obviously, Mm -hmm. we're not very pleased with the results. I'm not going to give a big headline, but I'm not pleased. You better get it fixed or you're not going to last. (laughs) Everybody better do better. Coaches and players, we are constantly evaluating things. End quote. Saying I'm not going to give you a big headline and then saying you better get it fixed or you're not going to last is quite a statement by the head coach who almost never makes any sort of like outlandish statements. Mark Stoops is pissed. And I've heard a couple of mm-hmm. people that cover Kentucky talk about this. They, they would be surprised if Rich Scangarillo, Scangarillo has this job after this season. He's probably going to get fired because his year as the offensive coordinator has been an abject failure. This is the third straight year they have a new offensive line coach as well, and the offensive line is a disaster for them. The quarterback has not performed up to expectations. He's an expected top 10 pick in the NFL draft, and if you watch him, you see the highlights, and then you see like seven straight plays where you're like, okay, I, I guess... 
the offensive line's a disaster. They don't have Wandale Robinson, who was their all-everything player, who was just spectacular for them. And so you, what you're left with is a really good running back, a talented quarterback, and an offense that really doesn't have any sort of an identity. Sound familiar? <laughs> like It's just... <laughs> these teams, once again, it seems like... Even though the... the uh, identities for them have changed over the last five to seven years for both teams. They've gone up and down and they've switched from offense to deep, all of these different things. Every time they play, I feel like they're basically the same team every, every single time. And that once again is true this year. Let me rattle off some stats for you. I want you all to be sitting down. So Kentucky's offensive line. Let's go with opportunity rate. Opportunity rate is how many times does a run get four yards? How many times does a run get four yards? Kentucky is 98th in the country. Missouri is 57th. (laughs) You thought the line was bad. Well, Missouri is quite a bit better there. Power success rate. How often do you get, how often do you win in short yardage situations? Kentucky is 61st in the country. Missouri is 76th. Stuff rate. How many times does a run get tackled at or, be- or before the line of scrimmage? Kentucky is 98th. Missouri, we've seen them get blown up plenty of times. Missouri is 70th. So, not very good at running the ball is the point there. Now, there's something else that you can do. What about sacks? What's that look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. Sack rate, 88th for Kentucky. Missouri? 79th okay it's basically the same offensive line it's basically the same kinds of problems they are overly reliant on big plays they're overly reliant on their running backs just finding something in the mush and squirting through for 20 yards that's how they move the ball on the ground they are one of the you know bottom of the pack rushing games you know the 45 percent rushing success rate that's terrible for kentucky now, Missouri's 98th, but, you know, whatever. We're not talking about Missouri here. The Kentucky should be good at running the ball, and they're not. And then when they throw the ball, they're 78th in the country. Only 40% success rate passing the ball. Missouri's at 38%. These teams are terrible at offense. <laughs> they're terrible. They can't move the ball. If they do, it's in chunk yardage, and they can't do anything after that. And then when they get an opportunity to score, you see Missouri, they're averaging 3.7 points per scoring opportunity. That's 110th. Kentucky's not that much better. 3.6. No, it's just, it's, it's bad. It is so bad. And so, like I said, this could be just a punt battle back and forth, back and forth. Nobody can do anything. Or if the big plays hit, maybe, you know, somebody breaks free or maybe it's, it's a shootout. I don't know, but these defenses are going to look like Alabama. (laughs) They're going to look like Georgia because these offenses are so inept. So BK, it's not going to be pretty. I don't think it is. But it doesn't have to be pretty. We, we're used to ugly football. We, we're, we're bathing in ugly football right now. This is our thing. So I don't <laughs> – somebody's got to make a mistake. And Missouri's got to be ahead in the turnovers, and they got to maximize their chances when they get a scoring opportunity. And, yeah, it's going to be like 12-9. to 9. <laughs> And then we're just going to hope that we have 12 Yeah, I mean, nine. like the way that Kentucky scores against their their quality opponents is their their defense basically does it for them. 
And what I mean by that is like, look at the Florida game, right? We can all agree. Florida is not a very good defense. We all saw Missouri go up against them. They, you said it before the game. They will allow you to do whatever you want to do. You want to pass? They'll let you pass. You want to run? They'll let you run. You want an explosive? Here's an explosive for you and you and you and you. Not against Kentucky. Kentucky's drives. Punt, punt, punt. Touchdown. Two plays, 67 yards. There's an explosive. <laughs> Interception. Safety. Yep. Touchdown. How? Well, because they got an interception at the five-yard line. So it took them three plays. They went five yards, scored a touchdown there. <laughs> Punt. Field goal. They scored on a pick six. Punt. Missed a field goal on a five-play, 20-yard drive because Florida on the previous drive had turned it over in downs, basically in their own territory. And then they finished the game with a seven-play, 16-yard, again, taking over on downs that ended on a field goal. That's how they did it against Kentucky. Their scores were an explosive play, an interception that led to a five-yard touchdown drive, and a pick six. This offense cannot score against even, like, reasonable opponents. The one game that is an outlier for them on the season is Mississippi State, and I'm just never going to understand it. It was basically Chris Rodriguez (laughs) dominated, went for almost 200 yards on the ground, and he got them to 27. And that's like a big day for their offense. So I say all that to say this. The reason why I think Missouri is not only going to be able to keep this game close, but I I actually do think they win this game is because I just have even less faith in Kentucky's offense than I do Missouri's offense. And the other thing that goes into this is the way that Kentucky plays defense. And so now we kind of switch things over, right? To the Missouri offense versus the Kentucky defense. Kentucky plays a shell defense. They don't want you to get explosives. They don't this year have a Josh Allen. They don't have a future first round pick. In fact, based on at least everything that I've seen, I don't know that they have a top 100 pick on their defense. This is all about the scheme really this year. They're they're winning with the, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And so when Missouri's on offense, what do they need to do? How do you beat a defense like this? Well, you take whatever is given to you. You know what Missouri can do? They're actually pretty good at it. They'll take what's given to them. And the question is, will Brady Cook make that massive mistake? If Brady Cook finishes this game with a 60 to 70% completion percentage and he does not turn the ball over, I think Missouri wins. Even if I don't know anything else about what happens in this game, I think that's what does it for them, is just him being able to consistently connect with his receivers on short, quick passing and don't make a fatal mistake. If you do that, I think Missouri can win this game. I mean, for for all of its problems, and you know, Missouri's you know offensive line gives up sacks, gives up run stuffs. So they do that. Yeah, Kentucky's defense is so bad at, it, like you said. And you know, you know who's really good at picking his spots? Cody Schrader. Yep. He's a very patient runner. He will he will get up field if there's nothing there, and he will he will find a hole. That's why he is the starter now, the nominal starter. Brady Cook does make dumb decisions every once in a while. He absolutely does. But for the most part, where his pass is going, quick ones to the to the outside, like you said, usually pretty safe passes. If he doesn't see anything, he runs. <laughs> like, that's that's okay. That's okay. It, this is going to be such a massive don't-screw-it-up game. Now, part of that, though, is and we got to talk about Harrison Mevis, who is locking down a trademark for, for a thicker kicker, I believe. You're welcome, Harrison, by the way. We created that. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I'm not asking for a cut. Please make a lot of money, sir, but respect your elders. Um, Harrison Mevis is not as automatic as he used to be. And I think I said in my uh, one of my pieces this week that 
we, the collective we, need to move past the idea of Harrison Mivas being automatic inside 40 yards. We just do. Not that he will never make it again. Not that he will make, you know, he will make some. But we can't just rely on it as 100%. We can't do the BK, get up to the, go, you know, from the couch to go get a beer because they're lining up for a field goal inside the 40. We can't do that anymore. So I hope that means that this offense presses a little bit more to get touchdowns. And I'm not accusing them of not doing that. I can't tell you if they are or not. But I would like to see a little bit more urgency, a couple more shots into the end zone because you don't have that automatic three anymore. And if you don't get it, fine, bring them out and, you know, you'll probably make it, but it's just not bankable anymore. So you are in a, and you're going to be in a close game against an opponent who's not going to give you much. You need to take advantage of the opportunities that you have. They're not going to, you know, they're not good at it either. So I know Eli Drinkwitz is going to be, well, that means I got to take three. Well, think about getting seven. That might be the dagger that you need. <laughs> it might be, it might be enough. So I, I just, I hate this game every single year. I hate it. I kind of love it. it. I hate it. I, I, I kind, I kind of love it. Now it's going to be ugly. I'm glad you it's, do. It's going to be so <laughs> incredibly ugly do. because I like first team to 24 probably wins. And it might not even yeah, take that much. If you can even it get that. might not take 24. Yeah. But I think if you get to 24, you're you're probably going to be able to win it. And the reason why I really enjoy that is because, like, it's just, it's so quintessential, this Missouri team. Like, look at the games that they have played so far this year. The first team to, really, it's been 25 for them. Wins almost every time. Louisiana Tech, they allowed 24. 25 would have won it. K State, they only won, they only scored 12, so 13 would have won it, but 25 certainly would have. Only needed 18 to beat Abilene Christian. You needed, unfortunately, 17 to beat Auburn. It was 24 to beat uh Georgia. That, that's what Georgia ended up needing to beat Missouri. Uh Florida got to 24. Vanderbilt he got to 17, but 24 easily would have won it. Same thing against Kentucky or against South Carolina. He got to 23. That that worked. This is this is what Missouri's identity is. And so your identity yeah. is essentially being tested by another opponent that has the same identity. If you're going to win this way, man, it's going to be hard in the SEC. And if you're going to win this way, the team that you need to look at as the formula for what you are trying to accomplish is Kentucky because they've done it. They were really, really good last year. Now, there is a ceiling to it because you're never going to be as good as Georgia at doing this. Georgia's just always going to be better. No. But yeah. you can go like 9-3 and three playing like this. Hell, Missouri had a chance to go 9-3 and three this year by playing this way if they just mm -hmm. took care of their own business. But that's why I love this game, man, is because we're about to find out where Missouri stacks up against the team that previously kind of held the in the, the middle tier of the SEC they were the gold medalist for playing this way. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. I mean, go even last year, last year, Kentucky was five and one in one possession games. They are one and one this year, Missouri famously mm -hmm. one in three and one possession games this year. This is what they do. <laughs> this is what they do. So, and in particular with Missouri, it's always very close. Uh, so, I don't know. What, what do you think? 20, 
23 20 something like that yeah something in that range right right around mm-hmm. there and I, I am picking missouri to to ultimately win this game and man can you can you believe that if mizzou wins this game they will be third in the sec east i can't because they will they will have true. the tiebreaker over south carolina head-to-head uh-huh. and they will have the tiebreaker yep. over kentucky head-to-head yep. it's crazy man it's the, the way that this season has broke and God, they, they should have two more wins in the SEC. They should have beaten Florida and they should have beaten Auburn. And like yeah. that, it, it wouldn't matter, it wouldn't change their standing in where they are in the SEC East. They would be third either way because Georgia and, and Tennessee exist. But man, it <laughs> it feels a whole lot different see, if you were talking about potentially getting to five and one as opposed to three and three. This gets to my point, though, and I know you all hate it. I know even BK hates it. This gets to my point, though. The quality of the team is improving. I know. But I want and them to be six why. and two. <laughs> I also want that. In the absence of wins, is the team getting better? And they are. And they are. They are noticeably the getting better. Good. And it's frustrating. It's frustrating. So frustrating that you don't see the wins coming with it. But that's why you don't change. You keep going. Even if it's rough, you keep going. It's what Gary Pinkle did. It's why he was so close twice to national championships because he was given the time to do what he did. And I'm not saying Eli Drinkwitz is the carbon copy of that, but he is building in a very similar manner. And the fact that Missouri is getting better, even with the regressing offense, I understand that. The fact that they are getting better, even with that, even with the losses, that is saying something. So if this is all culminating in 2023 when he gets 9, 10 wins, and maybe he leaves and maybe he doesn't, but if that's where we're getting to, that's yeah. what we're getting to. And it doesn't mean a whole lot right now, but maybe it means something in the future, and that's that's always easier to bank on from a happy standpoint than the present. So Who do you are. like in this game? Man, I don't know. I like Missouri because they're at home. And because I feel like they're more comfortable playing close games, even though I just rattle off Kentucky's close game. Last year, though, was different, years. man. That, that that team last year. It was very They had different. superstars at, at tackle. They had Wandale Robinson, who was one of the best weapons in the country. Like la- that team last year was very different than this version of Kentucky. They are. And the fact that they don't have that offense, you know, to rely on and they have a, but it's a no name defense, which you can win with obviously, but like, it's not as good as yeah, it used to be. Two, t- two it's defensive re- ends last year that were taken, I think in the top 100 of the drafts too. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, it's a top 10 defense. Don't get me wrong, but they have very obvious weak points that they usually don't have. So, you know, they're it's not almost like when Alabama has a defense that's just really good. Like as opposed to being historically yeah. great, there <laughs> yeah. are a couple of years here and there where they are just, are merely good or like Georgia's offense mm-hmm. this year. Georgia's offense this year is, is not yeah. as good as it has been in the past. It's still really good, like top 10 in the country. Good, but it's not what it was last year. They don't have a, a George Pickens who's just going to show up in the college football playoff and give them like the, the big play threat that doesn't exist out there for him. So it's just different. They don't have a Nick Chubb. They don't have the, the stud, like legit top 50 pick in the NFL draft running back that they've had in years past. It's just different. Yeah, like Kentucky's defense is top 10 because they they will snuff out success rates. They don't have havoc, though. That's the thing. That's the difference between an elite Kentucky defense and a good Kentucky defense is that havoc. 
They are 96th in overall havoc rate. Their defensive line is 122nd in havoc rate. Their defensive backs, Stoops' position unit, is 103rd in havoc rate. It's all the linebackers, 16th in havoc rate. It's if linebackers make a player, they don't. And so they don't have that defensive end, like you said. They don't have that defensive tackle. They don't have that safety or that corner making plays. It's the linebackers are nothing. And that's the difference. And if Cody Schrader can pick his spots and Brady Cook can keep away from those linebackers and pick on a rotating cast of corners, like, okay, okay. Let's hope Dom and Luther are healthy. Let's hope Cody can shoulder 24, 25 carries. And let's go. If that's the case, then I feel really good about Missouri. If that's not the case, I don't know. I don't know. Save me, Harrison Mimas. Save me. Before we get out of here, Nate, what's your uh, your gut reaction on Tennessee versus Georgia? Because that's going to be the game of the week. I mean, it's, I think you could potentially see both of these teams still make the college football playoff, even regardless of who loses. For the record, the college football playoff rankings is nothing but a tv show until the last week the tcu ranking does not matter don't worry about it friends granted the the playoff committee did georgia the largest favor it possibly could by putting a one next to tennessee and a three or a two Mm -hmm. next to georgia that was the best thing that could happen to georgia and they did it so i think tennessee is very good it is kind of a Mickey Mouse offense from a NFL standpoint. It's very simplistic. It relies on a lot of kind of deception, a lot of repetition, a lot of we think it's this, it's going to be that. And that works for a lot of teams. It can work against Alabama. We saw it. It can work against Georgia. But who boy. <laughs> you just put a number one next to Tennessee against a Georgia team that has seen this before, has snuffed it out before, and I know Alabama did too, but now they're motivated to beat these guys. And I think Georgia wins. I'm not gonna give a I'm not gonna give a score. I don't know what that's gonna look like, but I think this is gonna be Tennessee's first loss. I think they could still make it in the playoff and all that stuff, but I think they lose. What do you think? So I love Tennessee. And I have fallen for this team so hard. I said before the season, if you could give me one futures bet in college football, it would be Hendon Hooker as the Heisman Trophy winner this year. And boy, howdy, 40 to one has become even odds (laughs) by (laughs) early November. So that that is looking Mm -hmm. quite good right now. I I think they win, man. I, I really do. I, I think that this is a Tennessee team that with their explosive plays offensively, I think it has a chance to be too much for Georgia. I have not, I know you can look at the scores, 49, 48, 39, 42, 55, 42. The scores are impressive. Georgia's offense, when you look at that, it it will impress you. Look at what they've actually done, though. Look at who is producing. Look at how they're scoring those points. This is not the same Georgia offense that we have seen over the last couple of years, and especially last year. I think mm-hmm. Tennessee's defense can get enough stops. I think their offense has a chance to score, you know, 35 plus. I think that's going to be enough. I, I think it's close. Georgia's really, really good, and I'm not taking anything away from them. But I like Tennessee to not just cover the spread of eight points, but I, I like them to win this one outright once again. I like this matchup because it's strength mm-hmm. on strength and week on week. 
I always like that sort of thing. Uh, and really, when you look at the uh, like the the advanced stats for the Tennessee offense and the Georgia defense, they're almost straight across the board the same. It's yep. eerie how similar they are. Success rate, Tennessee's offense is fifth. Georgia's defense, fifth. <laughs> Efficiency, Tennessee's offense, fourth. Defense, Georgia's defense, fourth. Like It's just right across the board. Um, so that's going to be really good football. But you, like you said, it's the opposite too. Because Tennessee's defense is, you know, it's it's a little leaky. It likes to give up big plays. And Georgia's offense is okay at connecting that big plays, but they're almost all efficiency based, which is t- which Tennessee's really good at sniffing out. So I don't know. They got you know Darius Washington and Brock Black Bowers, and like those tight ends are just a menace. I'm sure they're gonna they're gonna try and feast with them, but you know Stetson Bennett's okay. The running backs are okay. The offensive line's pretty good, but it's a you know Missouri whipped up on them, so it's like. I don't know. I'm really curious. I, I think Georgia wins, but I don't think this is going to be some kind of blowout. I think Tennessee could do it. I really do. But I'm, I'm going to go with a really odd thing in, for me and, and go intangible and say Georgia takes it home. But I think it's going to be a I mean, they're favored for a reason. They're, they're like, by all of the advanced numbers, probably slightly a better team. But I'm just... Mm-hmm. Georgia by nine? 9. That's what the SP Plus has it. Let's call it thirty-five to twenty-five. Is what it's yeah. and and the spread right now, at least yeah. from what I've seen, is is right around eight. So they would they would say Georgia to cover mm-hmm. and and to win outright. Certainly, mm-hmm. I I like Tennessee. I, I'm going to take Tennessee. I think some of that is from the early season. What we saw from Tennessee, where they go to overtime against Pitt, they struggle to be able to finish the game off against Florida. Mm-hmm. They I think they've been a better team the last four weeks than what we saw early on from them. I'd agree with that. I mean, yeah. the the reason why is a lot of, like Hyatt has uh, just become a superstar yeah. right before our very eyes. But like he he, uh, I know we're a Missouri podcast, but like Hyatt's catches are all uncontested. Yeah, <laughs> he is wide freaking open. And so, can Georgia eliminate that? Can Georgia keep a guy? I don't think their corners are as know. good as they've been in recent years. And, and, and that's, I don't that's the thing is like, if they eliminate him in the big play, they're going to win. It, it really like yes. I, I don't mean to be too simplistic, but for Tennessee, that that is their offense. Like you look at him, or at least that's a significant part of their offense. The last three weeks, what he's done: six catches, two hundred yards, five touchdowns; seven catches, one hundred and seventy-five yards, two touchdowns; five catches, one hundred and forty yards, two touchdowns. <laughs> I mean, that that three-week stretch would be a good season for most wide receivers. He has nine touchdowns over the last three weeks, including five against Alabama. That's just, that's absurd. So if he can continue or even something resembling that kind of a stretch against Georgia, I think they win. And that's why I'm picking him. I mean, he's, he's a healthy Emmanuel Hall is what he is, but he's big. That's incredible. (laughs) He's also a very big dude. Uh, Well, I'm excited for this week. What are your, you know, what's your closing thoughts? I'm just excited that this game matters because there was a point in the season where I wasn't sure it was going to. And I thought it it could be Mizzou going into this thing with like three wins playing out the string. And we all know like, okay, well, this doesn't matter. And the conversation instead of being, can Missouri get to six wins and can they prove to be the better version of this style of team in the SEC East and being potentially the third best team in the East? It, it could have been a scenario where you're like, man, this sucks and nothing about this is interesting. Mm-hmm. So with what we saw last week against South Carolina, 
in so many different ways it saved the season and it saved the tenor of what this season was going to be down the stretch. And I'm happy about that. So I'm excited to watch this game. And if you're a Mizzou fan, that is also just a college football fan and just sit in front of your TV from like 11 AM until like 6 PM, because you're going to get some awesome football after this one with Tennessee versus Georgia. So uh, it's going to be a fun weekend. I'm excited about the football that we're going to be able to watch. Yeah. And again, Missouri plays Tennessee the week after that. So and that week, don't good. watch. <laughs> that, that, that week don't from 11 to 2, do literally anything else. Go go pick apples. That's going to be a healthier use of your time. Uh, but yeah, that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. And of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Yo, you.